Welcome to the Seven Hills Church Podcast with Marcus Mika. We're excited you're here listening as Pastor Marcus is about to bring an incredible teaching that is sure to inspire, motivate, and lift you up. You can visit us on our website at sevenhillschurch.tv or download our free Seven Hills Church app to watch or listen to more exclusive content. Thank you for tuning in and we hope you enjoyed the message. Well, good morning. Good morning. I hope you're enjoying this series. And I heard that Matt did an incredible job talking about heaven last week. And so uh, so appreciate Matt and Kate. Uh, been such a great part of Seven Hills for so many years. A uh, big part of who we are. So grateful for them. Today, he reserved uh, hell for me. So I'm going to be talking about hell. He got heaven. So I guess that's what it means to be the boss sometimes. So I get to talk about that. And uh, y'all ready for it? You feel like you put your seatbelt on? Make sure your airbag's ready because it's about to go down in just a minute. Well, I was thinking about this this week. There were two country pastors, Larry and Leroy. And Larry and Leroy had those big signs out in front of their churches that you can put the church slogans on. And Leroy put on his sign, the end is near. And Larry put on his, destruction ahead, turn around. And they're out in front of their churches just talking one day. And a guy drives by, he slows down and he screams out. You two are a bunch of religious nuts. And then he sped off. Just a few moments later, they hear this loud screech and then a huge splash. And Leroy yelled out at Larry and said, hey, you think we should change our signs to read Bridge Out Ahead? I can tell you're impressed. I can feel. I can feel it. That's right. It's about as good as it gets around here, right there. <laughs> if you got your Bibles, turn with me to Luke, Luke chapter 16. And Jesus gives us a, a, actually a real story. This would be a, more of a testimony. If you've ever wondered what someone that is in hell, what they would say, this is an 80-word testimony from hell. We know that when Jesus told parables, he said, this is a parable, or the kingdom of God is like. This is not one of those. This is a story that Jesus tells. In parables, Jesus doesn't use names. And so this is a real story about a real place and about real people. Verse 19, there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus full of sores who was laid at his gate. Desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried and was being tormented in Hades. He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham from afar off and Lazarus. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am tormented in this flame. I'm going to actually wrap up by talking about the four Uh, flames that torment people in hell that are mentioned right here in this text, the four things that that happen. Verse 25, son, remember that in your life you received your good things and likewise Lazarus his evil things, but now is comforted and you are tormented. Beside all of this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. And so he said, I beg you 
therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for establishing us in truth. And Father, I pray that um, you open up our minds, our hearts to understand exactly what it was that you wanted us to know uh, surrounding this place. And Father, I pray that most importantly, in whatever we do, that, that Jesus be glorified and lifted up. And we all said a big amen. You know, I, I read here, the, the text begins with a certain rich man. You see that phrase three times in the New Testament, three different times. It says a certain rich man. And I had this thought, maybe, is it possible that the three are the same man? Starts off with the rich young ruler is the first time you see it mentioned. He comes to Jesus and and his conversation is about eternity. His conversation is about trying to find out what it is that the will of God for his life is. And Jesus instructs him to not live his life consumed with things that are here that don't last and talks to him about things that are eternal and the bible says he walks away sorrowful later on you find another certain rich man that's mentioned he is in his middle ages he has built a business he's successful he's actually so successful that he's building bigger barns and jesus Referring to his success says you've just pushed God out. You've left God out of your life in all of these pursuits. And then he asked the question, what's it really going to do for you if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? And then finally you read about the next one in this passage where he is in hell. He refused God his whole life and he's missed the opportunity. You know, we could never know for sure if these are three different people or if they're the same person. But what we can know is in each story, there are three specific things that are trying to be clearly presented to us. Number one, there is an eternal nature to who we are and how God's created us. Number two, that if you pursue things that don't last, it leads to number three, that there are eternal consequences for not living for anything beyond the here and the now. The reason I like the thought of it being the same person, again, it's just my preference to like that. It's not necessarily anything doctrinal that I'm trying to get you to think about. It's because I see Jesus here relentlessly pursuing someone over and over and over again at different stages in their life. He comes to them when they're young, when they're impressionable. They're unable in this story to receive the level of truth that Jesus is talking about. I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life where I just wasn't ready. The stage I was in, the season I was in, I just wasn't ready to receive certain levels of truth. But I'm thankful that God doesn't throw up his hands and say, you know what, Marcus was 19. I tried to tell him what he needed to do, tried to tell him how he needed to think, but he didn't listen to me. So he's done. He's an idiot. I'm finished. I'm through with him. I'm thankful that throughout my life, God's continued to show up with long suffering, with persistence, through his grace to make sure that I would get what he had for me. 
And so I like to think that it's the same person because you see God continuing to show up over and over again, calling this person to a higher level of thinking and a higher way of living. Whether it's one man or three, what we do know is in each instance they chose to live their life with their head down instead of their head up. What we also know is that for each of us, the same option is available. Jesus begins his first sermon by giving us a choice. He says you can live your life building it on the rock. So when the storms of life come and the winds rage against you, you stand. Or you can choose to build your life on the sand. And if you do, when the storms come, your life will be destroyed. His last sermon, he also gives us a choice. He says you choose heaven or you choose hell. Can you see that Jesus is trying to tell us, hey, you have the power of choice. You can make a decision. And not only that, he wants us to know that our decisions are eternal. That you are more than a body. You are an eternal living soul. And how you live here in the temporal determines how you'll live there in the eternal. And if you choose in the here and now to not have eternity on your mind, then by default you you will live for that which does not last. A couple thoughts I thought would be important about hell is that number one, God does not send anyone to hell. You choose, the Bible calls this free will, you have the ability to make a decision because love at its root is a choice. Love can't be forced on you. Love cannot be required of you. To require something, to force someone to do something is not love. And because God wants us to choose him, he wants us to love him, he had to give us the power to choose. And so we choose, we make the choice, God sends no one to hell. The second thought that I think we should know is that God did not create hell for human beings. Matthew 25, 41 says hell was created for the devil and the rest of the fallen angels. So hell was not created for you. Hell is not a place that God wants for you. It's not a place that he sends you. Heaven is the place God created for you. Heaven is the place God wants you. And heaven is the place God wants to send you. If not, Jesus said, I would have never told you that I was going to prepare a place for you. That's my father's house and I'm going to make room for you there. The reason a lot of people attack hell, though, is they say, how could a God that loves people and is good send people to hell? And the answer is he doesn't. We choose to love him. We choose to live for him now. And when we do, we get to live with him in eternity. If we reject him now, we live for something else now and we live separated from him in eternity. Now, hell, surprisingly, isn't a fringe topic in Scripture. It's mentioned 167 times. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, James, Peter, and Jude all talked about hell. Paul warned his readers 80 times about the eternal reality of hell. The doctrine of hell, probably most importantly though, was not established by James or John or Paul or any of the other apostles or writers. The certainty of hell was clearly established by Jesus himself. Jesus preached on hell 30 
three times in three years of ministry. What this would mean if you went to Jesus' church, you would hear about hell about once a month. What does this tell us? If Jesus is God's son, there is a hell. If the Bible is God's word, there is a hell. And if there is a heaven, then there is a hell. And it's dangerous theology and thinking to erase hell from our understanding of eternity. 31% of Baptists have erased hell from their theology. 58% of Presbyterians, 60% of Methodists, 71% of seminary students in the eight leading seminaries today don't believe in a literal hell. But hell is not something that's easily erased. You can erase it from your classes. You can erase it from your church. You can erase it from your statement of faith, but it will never diminish its prominence in scripture. If there's no hell, then the Bible can't be trusted. If there's no hell, then Jesus is a liar. If there's no hell, then there's no consequence to whether you live for him or don't live for him. And if there's no hell, then there is no heaven because the two are always paired together when they are mentioned. We could just do like Thomas Jefferson did if we would like to. He just took the scissors to the Bible and he cut out everything he didn't like. He didn't like miracles, so he cut them out. He didn't like the supernatural, so he cut it out. If somebody was healed, he cut it out. If somebody walked on water, he cut it out. If someone was raised from the dead he cut it out Jesus was raised from the dead I don't like it I'll cut it out and we can do that ourselves we can go to everything we don't like about the scripture and we can pick and choose and pick and choose I don't like that so I'm gonna cut it out I like grace I like love I like mercy I like new beginnings I like love I like all that so I'm gonna keep all that but I don't like justice and I don't like truth and I don't like responsibility and I, don't li- I don't like consequences and I don't like that God would actually give me a choice whether I serve him or don't serve him and if I choose to not serve him I don't like the idea that I'd be held responsible for that so I'm going to cut all that out just cut it all out unfortunately large groups of people have done this and I like this idea I like the idea that I could cut out the thought of hell I don't want to go to hell I'm guessing you don't want to go to hell I'm guessing you don't want anybody you love to go to hell. So what if there's no hell? That's a good thought. Doesn't that feel good? Doesn't that give you warm fuzzies? It does me. I like the theory. I really do. But I'm not called to be a feeler. I'm called to be a believer. So even if I, it doesn't feel good to me, my lack of faith in something or lack of feeling good about something doesn't make it less of a reality. It doesn't cause it to cease to exist because I don't like the way it feels to me. The opposite is true. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to us. There's a way that feels right to us, but that way can be deception, deceptive because it doesn't lead to a place of feeling good. It actually can lead to a place that feels the opposite of good. It can lead you to destruction. So you can't just live based on how you feel what seems good to you what seems right to you, you've got to go to something higher. And that's where I know I can't trust my feelings, but I can trust God's word. And I have to put my faith in what he says, because that's what I can stand on when the storms come. So here in Luke 16, Jesus gives us four things that we need to think about that torment people in this place called hell. Now, again, this is Jesus talking. 
He is not telling a parable. This is a real story about real people. He mentions them by name. And this is about a real place. This is not a state of mind. This is not a spiritual thing. This is a real place and real people. He says... The first flame that happens there is found in verse 24. I am tormented in this flame. And that is the pain flame. The most terrifying language Jesus uses is reserved for hell. He says things like Matthew 8, 12, that it's outer darkness. That God is the source of all good. That he is the source of all light. And hell is the absence of God. So it's the absence of good and it's the absence of light. It's not the absence of light for three days or for a month or for a year or for a decade or for a hundred years. There is no light in hell. Restlessness is the second language that Jesus uses in Revelation chapter 14. That there's no relief and no rest. The third thought there is that it's a lonely place. 1 Corinthians 16 lets us know. Let me just put it like this. The relationships, God said, is good. It's not good for man to be alone. And so because there's no good in hell, there's no relationship in hell, which means there's no conversations, there's no confidant, there's no one to say, I need to call and talk to them about this situation that I'm in. No, hell is a lonely place. It is a place absent of relationships. It is a hopeless place because it is forever. Eternity is time and space without measure. We live inside of time and space. And inside of time and space, there's a gift. And the gift is as long as there's time and as long as there's space, things are changing. Things can change. You can change. You can evolve. You have the ability to make a choice. Once you enter into a realm without time and space, without measure, how things enter eternity is how they stay. They stay. If I enter lost, I remain lost. If I enter in a relationship with God, then I maintain that relationship with the Lord. So it is forever. In Acts 27, Paul is telling us about a shipwreck that happened and they're in the middle of the sea the waves are raging this massive storm is going on it's dark it's in the middle of the night and they're able to grab planks from the broken destroyed ship and they're hanging on for dear life and the bible says they're wishing for day they're in the middle of the storm in the middle of the sea hanging on to these planks it's dark out And they cannot wait for the sun to rise. They cannot wait for morning to break. They cannot wait for that first glimpse of light. But the Bible says in hell, there is no light. There is no day. There is no sunrise. It is eternally hopeless forever. It is dark. And that's why in the Bible, the man that is there is obsessed with trying to tell people to not go to the place he is in. As God's people, we're also to be obsessed to do everything we can to make sure that no one goes to hell. That's our responsibility, is to make sure that we make it hard for the people we know to get to hell. That's our responsibility. Not that they won't go there, but that they have to get over us to get there. That in this area and in this region, we should be saying, hey, you can go, I guess, if you want to. But we're going to do everything we can along the way and make it hard for you to go to hell. 
2 Corinthians 5 and 11 says, Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. The second flame is the flame of our memory mentioned in verse 25. It says, remember, remember. So your memory will torment you in hell. Mark 9, verse 44, 46, and 48, over and over, back to back in this chapter, it uses the same statement that the worm dies not and the fire is never quenched. The worm, scholars tell us, is our conscience and our memory. And it says their worm dies not. T-H-E-I-R. This is something personal. It's your personal memory. It's your It's your conscience that God has given you. You say, who will judge me in hell? What will be the jury in hell? Who will be the executioner there? Where are the witnesses in hell? You won't find them from somebody else. You find the judge, the jury, and the executioner will be your own memory, your personal memory of how things went down. I'll tell thee what hell is. This is a poem. Thy memory still mountained up with records of the past. Heap over heap, all accents and forms. The best occasions trifled over and burned. All that hath been that ought not have been. And all that might have been so different. That cannot but be irrevocably past. That thy gangrened heart stripped of its self-worn mask. And spread at last. Bare in its horrible anatomy before thine own excruciated gaze the point is nothing will escape your memory in hell everything will be clearly recalled every time you pulled back on God every time you refused God every time you said no to God every moment that he reached out to you every moment you mocked the people that serve him and you had disdain for God's people that will be fully and completely remembered and that will torments you because you will know that over and over and over God tried to get your attention he tried to get your light he tried to get your mind tried to get your heart and you continually pushed him away and that will torment you in hell number three the third flame is the flame of eternal separation verse 26 says it like this it's a great gulf that's fixed it's fixed Jesus, Paul, Jude, and John all said that this place is everlasting. There's no redo. There's no turning back. There's no more options. There's no purgatory. There's no exit in hell. There's no time off for good behavior. There is no escape. And evidently, one of the things that makes it even worse, according to Luke 13 and in Luke 16 that we read, is you have a momentary limited glimpse of the place that you missed out on and the God that you chose not to serve. And what makes it so difficult is the gulf, the separation is fixed. You know that there is no way to, in, to ever fix that, mend that, or bridge that. The separation is eternal and it's described as something that burns you. Number four, the fourth flame is found in verse 27 where he says, I pray. I think it's interesting that he refused to pray on earth, but he did pray in hell. We know the prayer is unanswered. On earth, you cannot pray a prayer that God does not hear. Now, you may not get the answer to every prayer, but that prayer is heard because prayers are eternal and prayers never die. 
However, in hell, there is no prayer. You can pray. God does not hear the prayer. The prayer is dead before it's even muttered. And this is important for us to understand that whether it's your memory, whether it's the eternal nature of it, the separation of it, or the inability to at any point access God, the most important thing to realize about hell is it's why Jesus left heaven. He refused to let anyone go to hell and he shared the message of hell with everybody he possibly could. It didn't matter if it was a crowd or an individual, if you were affluent or you were the marginalized. It didn't matter if you were religious or non-religious. He wanted no one to experience hell. It's why he bled and died on the cross. It's because the stake of redemption was that great. It wasn't life or death. It was eternal life or eternal death. And so he came, he took on our sin, he also took on our judgment for our sin, and then he took on our hell in our place. He went to a place he didn't deserve so we could go to the place that only he deserves. And so everything that he went through is so we would never have to worry about a place called hell. The opposite, he determined that he would rather go to hell for us than live in heaven without us. You know, have you ever heard somebody, maybe you've been to a game or an event or uh, a stadium of some type, and when the crowds are exiting, there's a guy, he's on his milk crate and he's got his bullhorn out, he's got his big posters out, big bright red letters and massive flames written all over it. And as people walk by, screaming at him about hell, just, just screaming, you're going to hell, you're going to hell. And this breaks my heart for, for two reasons. Number one, introductions matter. Introductions matter. And God actually shows us how he wants to be introduced. That's what Jesus is. Jesus is God's introduction. If you ever want to know what God is like, we look at Jesus, right? He's the logos. He's the logo, right? You just have to see the Nike swoosh and you immediately know the shoe company, right? That's what you know. Well, Jesus, you want to know what God's like? He's the logo. He's the logos. And the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever shall believeth on him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So that's how God wants to be introduced, is a God that so loved the world that he's not trying to send anybody to hell. He's, he's doing everything he can to make sure that we get to heaven and avoid hell. So he has to be introduced in a way that we can understand him. If he's improperly introduced, then immediately people have something to get over. So if I introduce him as someone that's trying to send them to hell, then they don't get to know who he actually is. Let me give you an example. Have you ever been introduced in a way that doesn't represent you? Has somebody ever introduced you to somebody? You're like, ah, not, don't, don't say that. You know, I appreciate it, but don't mention that. Or what about someone introduced you to someone else before you were there and you kind of know the things that they said misrepresented you. And you could tell that there was something that you're going to have to get over from now on with that person. Because the thing that they said, though it might have had some, some element of truth to it, wasn't the whole truth. 
and immediately now there was something negative that now the relationship probably would never happen because they chose to mention something that you don't think really represents you. Aren't you glad that if you've been through a divorce, they don't introduce you as divorce, divorce Joe? Hey, meet divorce Joe here. You know, come and meet felony Annie. Come and meet crackhead Bob over here and you know, come on over here. I, I, I want to make sure that, that you can meet bankrupt Billy. You know, we, we're more than some of the things that happen in life. And we hope that someone would get to know us and we could talk to them through relationship about some things. And God doesn't introduce himself as a God that created hell for people. He says, I didn't create it for you. It's not for you. You don't have to understand what's going on in this other judgment with the devil and the fallen angels. That's something, that's, that's not you. That's, that's over here. That's a separate subject. That's not for you. Heaven's for you. Let me talk to you about heaven. Let me talk to you about all the extremes that I'm going to go to. Because yes, I am a God of justice. And yes, I am a God of of righteousness and truth. And yes, I do hate sin, but I hate sin because of what it does to people. I hate sin because of how it destroys life, how it's destroyed the planet, how it destroys families. I hate sin, so that's why I went to the cross, so I could do everything I could, that you didn't have to worry about the justice or the wrath or the righteousness side of God. What you can do is look at the cross and you can know all of that was poured out on Jesus. All the wrath, all the anger for your sin was poured out on Jesus so all God's love can be poured out on you. What you need to know is that we have a God that loves you. He's mad about you. He relentlessly wants to pursue you with his grace. He never created hell for you. He doesn't want to be separated from you for another moment, let alone eternity. He doesn't want to be separated from you for one more day, let alone all of eternity.